the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You ever find yourself in those moments where you wonder if you've sinned yourself out of salvation? It's always good to go back to God's Word and remind ourselves of just how secure we are at that point, which we'll do next. It is a challenge, isn't it? There's times we wonder if we're really saved, if we've actually gone too far. At that point, as I mentioned a moment ago, it's always good to go back and remind ourselves of just how sufficient and how superior the sacrifice of Christ on the cross really was. We find that in Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. Hi there. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Join us as we are encouraged again, reminding ourselves of the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. Here's Pastor Phil. It says in verse 11, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now those are four conditions. Humble themselves, pray, Seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Now, three effects. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, he had said in Deuteronomy 29 to the nation, if you don't keep the agreement to the land, it's as though God had a renter's agreement with Israel, I'm going to bring plague and famine on you. So they says at the temple, when you have brought my displeasure and you want deliverance and you want to get right, do these four things and I will respond. I call the message getting God's attention. Getting God's attention. Now, Walt Kaiser gave me a understanding of this passage a Hebrew prof from Trinity, that the rest of Chronicles, at least 15 other chapters in the book, develops and is pivotal off of this one verse. And it is revealed in the King Rehoboam, in Asa, in Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah. And we will develop that. That each of these men, when the kingdom was in trouble, when they'd gone away from God... God honored this principle of 714. When they humbled themselves, 
When they sought God's face, God brought national deliverance to the nation, brought deliverance and help. Now, it's an interesting thing. Israel is not the only people of God that can drift from God. Jesus dealt with seven churches in Asia Minor that were in bad condition, and he said this to elect people. If you don't get your act together, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Some people say when you use 714, you're reading other people's mail. This is for Israel. Let me tell you this. The four principles have been every, every time working of God. It's all the way through. I hear a verse in James that says this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. I hear the Lord Jesus say, Whosoever exalteth himself shall be humble, and whoever, notice this, humbles himself, and here's a promise. Did you know God wants to exalt you? He only does it through humility, though. You won't ever get his exaltation. You get what you can do, but God wants to do something greater than you can do if you meet the conditions. So, I have a ton of material, and at the max, 40 minutes, if Carolyn allows me. Children's ministry. Uh, And so, we're going to go fast, I think. I hope something penetrates. I want to look at, we're going to look at the King Rehoboam and see how this was lived out. But first of all, I want to deal with... With God's view of the humble. And I will just give you a bird's eye view. Do you ever take notes? I didn't print notes because I, I don't like them to be thrown away. And it's a lot of work. But if you have paper and pencil, I'd use it today. Because one verse might just grab your attention. Because I've got more than you're going to be able to retain. I know that. I couldn't if I didn't type it out. So you're not losing your mind. It's just a lot of material. So I want to give you a scriptural panorama of this God's idea about humility and pride. And then I want us to see God's response when we humble ourselves. And I'm going to show that in the kings of Israel. And then I'm going to try to just give a little summary on what uh, pride and humility look like so you can examine your own heart. And if I find the time, I hope, I want to tell you at least 12 practical ways you can humble yourself. And so... You may not want to take notes. You may want to leave. He says, I like me the way I am. But if you want to be what God wants you to be, it may search. It will search all of us. Nobody's born humble. People are born in humble circumstances, but they are not born humble. You may be a poor boy, but that doesn't mean you're humble. You may have grown up on the wrong side. of the, You were born in humble circumstances. Humility is an attitude of the heart. It's not your economics, your ethnicity, or what neighborhood you grew up in. Part of the human condition is pride by nature. It's the work of God to get us to a right estimation of ourselves, of God, and of others. Well, let me just give you these verses. I don't want to preach them. I just want to tell you. Do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves, Philippians 2, verses 2 through 4. And if you don't think anybody's ever lived this way, he says, this is the way Christ thought, 
And then this is the way he wants you to think. God's ideal man said, if you hang out with me, there's two things I'll guarantee you I'll teach. Meekness and humility. God in flesh spent 33 years showing us what humility looks like. Why doesn't anybody want it? Why isn't he? Because according to the Greeks, there is no Gentile culture that has ever esteemed humility. It's always viewed as weakness. And when you've got God on the earth, he incarnates humility. Because you see, he knew the reward for humility would be eternal exaltation as the God-man. You've only got 33 years to be humble, Jesus. The Father will exalt you in a body. You always were God, but now you're going to take a humanity back to the throne. And for eternity, we will have the humblest man that ever walked on the earth in a glorified body on the throne and all of his enemies put under his feet. Do you think God can exalt you? He can. Our problem is can we humble ourselves? Not can he exalt. Our problem is can we humble ourselves? Uh, Listen to Micah. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6, 8. Do justly and walk humbly with your God. Uh, Matthew 11, 29. Take my yoke on you and you'll learn meekness and uh, humility. Listen to what it says. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Psalms 138, 6. You don't have fellowship with God if you're proud. It's a distant relationship. He is inclined to the humble. Listen to what he says in Isaiah. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 57, also in 67. James says, if you humble yourself, God will lift you up. Uh, Jesus said, you must become as a child to enter the kingdom of God. Let me say this. Childlikeness is the flip side of repentance. When you repent to God and you admit you need to change, in regeneration, God puts a childlikeness in you. You quit being the authority. You become childlike. You become teachable. Somebody else is your father. There is just a humbling, coming. And you start, what's the family language when you're in this family? Dad, dad. Dad, dad. Grown men say, Abba. The Holy Spirit says, Abba. You're a child in this family. You are not running this family. Who do we think we are to even be in this family? Regeneration brings childlike naivety, teachableness, pliableness. That's what he said in Matthew 18. We go on. He says, Matthew 23, 12, Luke 14, 11, Luke 18, 14, Philippians 2, 8. He that humbles himself will be exalted. You do it, you do it, you do it. And God makes himself responsible to lift you up. 
If you're trying to be discovered, go low. Go low. Go down. Start at the bottom of whatever that is, and he will take care of the promotions. Gandhi said one time, everybody wants to take the credit. Not everybody wants to take the work. Um, Humility before honor. Listen to Proverbs. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility. Watch this. Watch this. Destruction cast its shadows backward. And God says before destruction comes to a life, I'll cast the shadow on that man and pride will precede destruction. Another shadow. If honor's coming to a life, the shadow that will be cast is a humble person. This is in God's economy, not the Gentiles who kill and steal and and jockey for position. We're talking in God's economy. I just was amazed telling a man about 1 Samuel 16 that nobody thought David would be in the lineup. Nobody thought there was a king hanging out there in the field taking care of a bunch of sheep. He wasn't running for the office. He wasn't looking for the office. He had no idea. And God sends a prophet, says, tell this young boy, he's my next king. He didn't have to jockey for position. I know where he is. I know what he's doing with that harp. I know what he's doing with those sheep. I can get you to where I want. Quit worrying about going up. The going up is God's business. The going down is yours. I tell preachers this all the time. If God's not big enough to get you where he wants you, he is not God. We are not working for corporations. We're under the sovereign, directive, predestined plan of God for those he's gifted. I have created you for good works from the foundation of the world. Just be humble and dependent on me, and I will do those works through you. Nobody can take it from you. Nobody. God's got a plan. God's got a plan, I said. Listen to what I love this line that Abraham Lincoln said. Nobody has ever expected me to be president. In my poor, lean, lank face, nobody has even seen that any cabbages were sprouting. It's a little country statement. Nothing seemed to be growing in greatness in the face of Lincoln. But God determined he'd be the president of the United States. Nobody saw anything in Jesse's boy named David. God did. Because he doesn't look on the outward appearance. Well, I'm trying not to preach these verses, but I want to. 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Let me tell you something. It's one thing to rise to position, but to retain honor, you must be. The more God gives you, the more humility you need. The bigger this church gets, the humbler I've got to be. It's easy to be humble with 19 folks, and we didn't know if we'd pay the rent. Now out of strutting, look what I built. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said, you know. Look at this Babylon that I built. Oh, I'm going to have to give you a seven-year course on eating grass like an ox for you to find out who built Babylon. You're just a tool, boy. Hear me now. I told my son-in-law last week, when you bury your old father-in-law, you, you, you write on my epitaph, 
not to me, not to me. He was not a great man. He simply served a great Savior. That's good enough for me. The greatest thing about this church is Jesus. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the church. Not any of us. We come and go. We're placed in the body to serve. He's the head. And if he's not, we're all lost. We need a Savior. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. When you fear God, you're teachable. And before honor is humility. Look at this, what it leads to. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. <laughs> That's Proverbs 22.4. Everybody wants to be rich, get humble. Believers should be gentle and humble. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Put on tender mercies, kindness, and humility. Colossians 3. 1 Peter 5, 5. You younger men, submit yourself to the elders that God may exalt you in due time. When you don't know what to do in a church, submit. You always say, God will take care of you. God will lift you up. Now, let's look at this principle. Turn with me. Let's see some illustrations in the book of Chronicles, how this worked out. Look at uh, 2 Chronicles 10. Let's, and I'll move through this narrative. Rehoboam succeeds Solomon. He's Solomon's son. He becomes the king of all Israel. The last time all 12 tribes are a nation. And uh, when he comes, Solomon had taxed them heavy to build the temple. They were under heavy taxation. So uh, Rehoboam, to get some counsel, asked for David's counselors, the seasoned, mature men that counseled David. And they said, lighten the load. These people have been under a heavy load for too long. He talked to the young men, and you pick up in it, there was almost a ridicule of the people and a ridicule of wise men. And they said, no, 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 no. Double the taxes and tell them that if Solomon did a little, you know, it's like if he did a finger worth, we're going to do a wristful. Load them up. And it seemed like, great, he, he voted with his peers and with the youth of the country and the young counselors, the young bucks. And all of a sudden, Jeroboam comes out of Egypt. God had prophesied that he would be the king of Israel. But in that arrogance, the nation split. Two tribes went to the south, and we formed Judah, which is the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. The ten tribes formed the northern kingdom. So from now on, the house of Israel is in civil war and divided. Well, Rehoboam begins to fortify Judah. He's now a separate country. And we read about his family. And we come to chapter 12. And watch what happens here. Verse 1. After Rehoboam's position as king was established. And he had become strong. Always watch for that phrase. Uriah became strong and successful. And then he fell into pride. Watch this. When he had become strong. He and all Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord. Now, why would you need to do that? We become strong. We've got our fortifications built up. We're ready for the northern kingdom. 
we've been established in our place on the throne, in the monarchy. And all of a sudden, an attitude swept into him and the leaders. We're established. We're strong. We don't need the word of God anymore. Amazing. And then uh, God says, well, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem in the fifth year of King Rehoboam with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen and the innumerable troops of Libyans, Sukites, Cushites that came with him from Egypt. He captured the fortified cities of Judah. Hey, I thought you were established. And came as far as Jerusalem. Then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and to the leaders of Judah who had assembled in Jerusalem for fear of Shishak. And he said to them, This is what the Lord says. You have abandoned me, therefore I now abandon you to Shishak. The national crisis was a result of a spiritual attitude. We're talking about revival. Let me tell you what revival is not. It's not a two-week meeting. I used to hold what we call revivals. We have a two-weeks meeting that the goal was to add members to the church, converts to the church, and it was just two weeks of meetings. And many times, I have, having been the evangelist and the Bible teacher, I must say, many a time, there was nothing that was revived. Because the term revival has turned into revivalism. Guys who know how to bring it down. Revival is the sovereign intervention of God in history where the Spirit is poured out on languishing saints, cold saints, prayerless saints, lethargy, worldliness, uh, fruitlessness has seemed to move in the church in these 20 centuries in different periods. And God has broken out in the great awakening that happened in New England in the 1700s. Then there was another great second awakening in the 1800s. The last recorded great revival in America, they recorded 1906, where God sovereignly moved in whole communities. And people were converted. And churches were returning to the word of God. Returned to pious living. Uh, a readjusting of the people of God. Our day. Uh, don't think all the mega churches is all of America. I was with a man here the other day. That was at our music conference. And at that conference was 70 to 80 people. And he said 95% of the churches of Oklahoma, where he came from, run this size. You got more in your music ministry than 95% of the churches in Oklahoma. The church in America is in decline in many ways. The word of God is in danger. Fluff hour. Turn on TV and tell me the last time you heard a man preach Christ and the Bible. Charles Stanley's been the best. God bless him. God bless him. God using him. He is using him. And an old boy from Oklahoma that says, friend, get on the Bible bus. We'll take you through the Bible in five years. Why, wow, that can't even be on the air. He hadn't even gone to an emergent church con- congress. 
God's in love with his word, not us men. He loves his word, and he will use men that love it. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? Another note as we close out our time today, while Pastor Phil is the pastor emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, we are still very much a part of this body. And if you are looking for a church, we would invite you to join us. Now, we know that this current crisis has us all sequestered away. So you can join us at valleybible.org, where we stream our services. Again, valleybible.org. And then, as we find ourselves released from this quarantine, we will be meeting together here in Hercules. And for information, directions, and details, again, visit valleybible.org. And then, we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 